0: Welcome back to Anxiety Slayer, I'm Shan VanderLeek, and today I'm speaking with Christina mand Lakiani about personal transformation, authenticity, understanding and accepting yourself, and a path to happiness during these interesting times on planet Earth. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer, Christina. Thank you, Shan, for having, having me here on this podcast. It's wonderful to be with you. And before we begin, I do want to share a little bit about your background. Christina is the co-founder of international publishing giant Mind Valley, and the creator of the Seven Days to Happiness program. As someone who faced the 2020 lockdown as a newly single woman after 17 years of marriage, Christina has a unique insight on hacking happiness and rediscovering her energy and enthusiasm welcome welcome it's so good to have you here and i look forward to diving into our conversation yeah so i'm looking forward to it as well i read that you believe life is far too important to be taken seriously and that was how i knew immediately that i liked you because I have been far too serious most of my life, and only in the last 10 years or so have I learned to bring more fun into my roles. How do you bring more fun into your roles as a mother, teacher, entrepreneur, and and world traveler? You know, it's, it's such an interesting place to start with. I have to be fair, it's not my
1: quote, it's actually Oscar Wilde who said so, and he's one wise, wise man when it comes to life. In my case, I would answer probably a little bit unusually. Uh, I think that when, when things happen to us in life, especially when very intense thing happens, uh, things happen to us in life, then I like to say that in the worst case scenario, there are two remedies. Being philosophical about what happened, or if it is incredibly intense, then just having fun about it. I actually learned it from one very... Uh, old fable I heard somewhere. I don't even remember where I heard it, but it was about this Mongolian um, king uh, siege, besieging a city and and uh, trying to take it and sending his uh, his army to go and loot and and take whatever there is in the city. And then the army comes back and tells the, reports to the king that we have taken everything that that the people had. And the king asks, so what are the people doing? And the army says, "Oh, they're crying and begging us for mercy." And the king says, "You have to go back." So a few rounds like that keep going, and the army starts. Well, they they steal literally everything—food, whatever is there. So after a few rounds, the army comes back, and uh, the king asks, "So what are the people in the city doing?" And the army says, "Oh, they're laughing and joking, and uh, seems like they're having fun." And then the king says, "I guess there's nothing left." So I actually <laughs> truly believe that. That uh, joking and philosophy are the two things which help when things are really, really miserable.
0: And it's true because when we can find humor in what it is we're walking through, what it is we're experiencing, everything shifts. We become almost like a lightness of being in the midst of some very difficult experiences.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, sometimes we can't change things, but at least we can feel a little better about whatever we have. <laughs> I like I like all sorts of quotes and I'm a bit of a geek, but I think it's Gandalf who told Frodo that, you know, we don't always get to choose the times when we're living, but we get to choose what we do with those times. Mm. So I think, I think this approach about having fun or being philosophical about what life throws at you, it helps you just try to get the better out of uh, out of um, whatever you have been dealt, because we don't always get to choose.
0: One of the questions I like to ask is, what is right about this that I'm not getting? Or what's the beautiful energy underneath this that I'm not seeing or experiencing yet?
1: True. Yes. You know, on the other hand, I'm not a huge fan of the saying that whatever happens is for the better, because it's not necessarily so. I really think that well, life is a sequence of events which happen either to you or through you or around you. And they're just events. How they're going to affect your life is pretty much very often a choice which you get to make if you have mm-hmm. the, the capacity and the right framework. So, while not everything that happens may be to your advantage or maybe better for you, because we have to be objective. And, uh, you know, for example, my mom lost her sister to COVID last year. And, uh, objectively you know when you're losing someone dear there is nothing uh, there, there may be no silver lining to that but whatever happens to you in your life you can ask yourself is it going to be your curse or your blessing yes. and very often the very sad events or let's say the events which create grief in you while well, they are definitely not a blessing they're definitely not a turn for the better and maybe they're not for the better for you but at least They're the moment for you to slow down and remind yourself that you've had meaningful love in your life. You know, you've had connections and relations, someone in your life for a long time who mattered so much. So while it's not a pleasurable event, it's still an event to remind you of the good things that have been there.
0: Oh, yeah, because you're busting your heart wide open. Yes. In the grief, in the love, in the memory of this person that you spent so much of your time with and, and condolences to you and to your mama. Thank you. Tell us about your unique framework for happiness and how you walked your talk and implemented this framework after your divorce and during lockdown. So yes, I started
1: teaching about happiness a little before all of that happened. But during lockdown, I found this wonderful anonymous internet quote that says, happy are those who are on a detour and can still enjoy the scenery. And it really struck the chord. Uh, I've always, when I taught about happiness, I always taught about it uh, in a way where uh, I'm very clear and open and honest, that no matter how much I teach, your life is going to to be both good and bad. It's not like you do your homework, you do your transformation, and then it's all smooth sailing. One of my favorite TED speakers and uh, PhD in philosophy, Susan David, she says, pain is the price of admission to meaningful life. So my framework of uh, happiness uh, is based on um, a slightly older theory of hedonic adaptation, uh, which essentially says that we all have a certain set point of happiness. Mm -hmm. So it's this uh, general feeling that we carry through life. And if things happen to us, whether they're good or bad, they throw us off that set point. And like thermostat brings the temperature in the room back to to the set temperature. So our set point or hedonic adaptation theory says so, uh, brings us back to, to that general state, which we normally feel in life when life is not intensely good or intensely bad to us. So my theory about happiness is that rather than dealing with the immediate emotions, which are uh, changing and volatile by nature you have to really deal with that set of uh, set point of happiness and surprisingly psychology actually doesn't say how to lift the set point of happiness which is so strange we seem to be much more devout to such states as depression because we understand that depression is a kind of state when it comes to happiness almost everybody writes it off as an emotion mm. so the opposite well i wouldn't call happiness exactly the opposite of depression but uh, let's say, um, uh, a state that many of us would be as- aspiring for. We, uh, in psychology, we don't recognize it as a state. We think it is an emotion. And as an emotion, obviously, it is not going to stay. So that's why we hear those talks about not, don't chase happiness, then you're not going to get it. You know, happiness is elusive. Of course, if it is an emotion, it's going to be elusive. I guess the most important part about me teaching happiness is that I take it as a state. And because I take it as, as a state, then the things that I suggest that people do to lift their set point of happiness have not much to do with their immediate emotions and have more to do with a further outlook. So, for example, if you wake up in the morning and you don't feel very well and you want to cheer up, then there are little things that can make you feel better. But they're not going to solve the underlying problem, why you're not feeling very well, or, for example, why you're feeling anxious. So these, uh, these kind of methods that we often use to make ourselves feel better I call them instant gratification techniques. They make us feel better right now, but they don't necessarily make us feel better in the long run. So when I talk about happiness, I suggest that people look into more uh, long-term strategies, things that might not make you feel ecstatic in the moment. But if you practice them for a long time, that actually lifts your set points of happiness.
0: Hmm. I get that. That makes sense to me. You say that We're a hundred percent responsible for our own happiness. And I agree we are, it's choice, right? What can our listeners do if they're feeling so incredibly anxious and sideways and that they've decided that that anxiety is keeping them from their joy, keeping them Mm -hmm. from that choice to be happy?
1: Well, I can imagine that being anxious and being happy are not exactly compatible emotions, although some some uh, painful emotions are compatible with, with happiness. But I also have to say that I do not believe in absolutes. And while I say, uh, I might say, or at least this is the common saying, and a lot of people who talk or teach happiness, they say that happiness is in your hands. It is true, generally speaking. And, and in personal growth, everything starts with taking per, uh, personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. But again, we have to look at the, uh, at the set, setting. So a simple example from my personal life. Uh, when my kid was about six or seven years old, uh, I took him from school. Actually, the nurse called and asked, him, asked me to take him from school because he was sick. And uh, I remember it was sometime in the midday, like 1 or 2 p.m. He had appendicitis. So by 6 p.m., he was having a surgery. It happened really quickly and Mm. I was, uh, you know, it was unexpected. It was unprepared. So I remember while he was in surgery, I was in the waiting room and the surgery is supposed to take half an hour, but of course, with all the preparations and everything, it was an, an excruciating one, almost two hours of me waiting, not knowing what's going on. And in that moment where my most darling little person, helpless, is in the surgery and I'm out there waiting, not knowing how's it going and why is it going so long? I can tell myself all I want, that happiness is my choice. It's not going to work, right? That's not the place, right? Right. So another thing is that, uh, you know, that set point of happiness, no matter what life throws at you, you can get back to normal. Just because you are grieving doesn't mean that this is going to be forever. One of my good friends and an amazing, incredible teacher, Shelley Levko, she says, some events, while they matter, the meaning that we give them may be very different. So if I come back to that example of my mom losing her beloved sister, of course it mattered. But it doesn't mean that she will never be happy again. Right. It's just that in those moments of, uh, of extreme grief, it's really hard to think about that. And I would actually argue that we shouldn't force ourselves to think about that. Because happiness is, you know, it's not going to run away. We, we live a long life. You'll get back to that. The important thing is not to go into the extremes. That's why I don't like absolutes. Mm-hmm. Live, and I've been in personal growth for 20 years, and I've seen a lot of teachings. I've seen a lot of teachers. I know a lot of doctrines, and I know that we live a little bit in the era of positivity tyranny. where we insist that people can't feel anything bad, that we insist that they can't bring their garbage into the society. You know, if you feel down, stay at home and don't poison the rest of the world. This is unhealthy. This is simply unhealthy because having painful emotions is nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong about being, uh, you know, anxious, about being stressed, even about being angry, about being wrong. There's nothing wrong about that. We are are humans. We are here living human experience. And part of human experience is experiencing actually the whole spectrum of emotions. And nothing is wrong about any emotions. You can experience any emotion. The question is, what do you act out of? You can feel anger. It doesn't mean you have to act out of anger. You can feel anger, create some space and choose to act out of your values, out of what is important to you out of your personal um, beliefs or, or what is the co-essence of you as a human being. So the same goes for depression, sadness, grief, anxiety. Uh, when I had my periods of anxiety, because I didn't come to teaching happiness out of nowhere, but I had, I had intense uh, periods of anxiety, which actually made me, like, I couldn't sleep. I would wake up in the middle of the night and, um, and it, it lasted a really long time for months, in fact, if not years, my healing started when I somewhere read that stress about stress is much more dangerous to your health than the stress itself. Feeling shame or stress because you are feeling anxious. This um, secondary stress is much more worse than anxiety itself. If you allow all those unpleasant, painful feelings just to be and not beat yourself up for having them, you're halfway into feeling better. And that's why I'm a huge opponent. I, I do not like being, uh, uh, you know, being pushy about being happy. If you're not happy, it's fine. It's fine. Breathe, experience it. You know, if you want to work on that, we'll have
0: time, we'll get there. Right. So so back to to the prior question, how did you implement this framework and and address your own happiness set point finding yourself alone for the first time in, in 17 years or outside of your partnership at the same time of of lockdown and this pandemic and, and all of this? I mean you know, here you are. Uh, doing everything that you do and creating what you create in the world, and, and, then, and then you're sitting with this? Mm. I
1: will have to give a, a little bit of a background, but first I will say that the, the thing that helped me through pandemic was the idea that happier are those who are on a detour and still enjoy the scenery. Yes. If we are absolutely honest with ourselves, if we take life philosophically, the whole life is one long detour. <laughs> we think we're going from point A to point B, but if it was really like that, then the life would start at birth and end at death and it would be a straight line. <laughs> Wouldn't that be horrible? So our life is a long detour. And the point is to just enjoy whatever you, whatever you experience, whatever you see. And that was the thing that helped me through a pandemic. I just tried to see beauty in the things that I had access to at that point. But now uh, the background that I have to set is that my uh, separation from my husband uh, wasn't really traumatic, and I wasn't feeling alone. Yes, I lost a lover, and uh, excuse me if I'm too direct, but my sex life changed. But in everything else, uh, I didn't lose uh, a friend, I didn't lose a partner, I didn't lose a a father of my children, a family member, because we, we chose to... You know, we chose to dissolve the one part of our relationship which seemed to not work anymore, at least at that point, and uh, preserve or save everything else that did work. That's why I don't feel that I was lonely. We actually did uh, well, we moved to Estonia because lockdown in Malaysia was intense, and I used to live in Malaysia. So a uh, lockdown caught me in Malaysia. I moved to Europe where where we have a lot of nature and very few people. So the lockdown wasn't intense. We were allowed to travel in the country, go to to forest and and enjoy Mm -hmm. the outdoors, and uh, Europe opened up a little earlier, we got to travel. So we even had a whole bunch of family holidays during (laughs) during pandemic and lockdowns, because world wasn't in sync with lockdowns. So I didn't suffer. In fact, this spring, I was praying for another lockdown so that social life stops for a while and get to breathe and maybe yeah. go
0: back to nature a little bit more often. Yeah, but yeah. The blessings, the blessings <laughs> that were a part of it, for sure.
1: Hmm. We pushed through,
0: and here we are in summer. Yeah. Well, and I have great respect for how you and your husband decided to move forward with your lives. And when I think about, both of you and in your investment in Mind Valley and, and all that you've been teaching and a part of, it makes sense that that's how you, that that's what you did. And yet at the same time, it feels a bit of a fairy tale when you hear so many, so many of the other kinds of stories. So I have great, great respect and honor that that's, that that is how you chose to move forward.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it does sound a little bit like you know um, we had to put an effort into that, but honestly, uh, I do think that uh, inside my heart, that's what I think is the right way to do. And, yes, uh, uh, and it has nothing to do with me as a teacher or with uh, with Vision being a teacher, because while uh, yeah, it's nice, it's nice that we get to tell that story, but we are just humans anyway, and right. Uh, as far from perfect as can
0: be and uh, and i really don't think that the world needs perfect people but what we do need is to respect each other and to and to honor the choices we made in our relationships up to the point where they dissolved and to honor that person and to have role models who are who are doing that and showing us what it's like to consciously change your relationship. Uh, the author
1: who coined that term is Catherine Woodward Thomas. She wrote a book, uh, she wrote several books, but one of them is on conscious coupling. So uh, she, she teaches that and she teaches, she actually as a psychotherapist and couples therapist, she helps people to go through that journey, uh, whether they decide to consciously uncouple as, uh, as a couple, as a former couple, or uh, if let's say, well, there, there are a lot of divorces which end up with a, um, a person being left alone. You yeah. can do th- this journey alone as well. Uh, in our case, while well, uh, we we did, of course, uh, do work with Catherine as well. She's a friend and she's a wonderful woman. Uh, I really, I think uh, it is something that uh, that that um, I resonate with, and I think we as a society we dramatize the. End of love, and I want to specify that we're talking about end of a r- a romantic love, right? Or right, end of right. sexual relationship. I know that in the old days, husband or a wife—well, mostly husband for a woman—was the whole world because we lived in different environment where uh, women didn't have social financial security. They actually needed husbands not so much as uh, fathers for the to their children or love partners. Well, romance was very far from. From uh, for, from marriage in uh, let's say two hundred years ago, sure. for most people, uh, now now we get to choose. So we we still take um, separation so dramatically where we could we could actually allow the idea that a relationship doesn't end, even if you stop communicating with that person, even if you hate that person, relationship doesn't end. The memory of that person, the hate for that person, the avoidance of that person is still a relationship. It's just an unhealthy relationship. Right. So my natural choice is to make that relationship, which will continue forever, because he has been such a, and still keeps being, such an important part of my life. He's the father of my children. Forever will be that. Right. So this
0: relationship is not ending. And I choose it to be healthy. That's all. I love that. I love that so much. So let's circle back to our listeners today who listen to this podcast for support when they're feeling anxious, when they're feeling like it might be tough to get out of bed today, but they're going to do it anyway. They're some of the strongest, most creative, incredibly powerful people I've come to know over the years, but they still feel like anxiety keeps them from their daily joy. Do you have any tips to share on how they can improve that set point or something that they might be able to practice that might help them just come away from, from feeling that stress and anxiety.
1: I'll be responsible adult right now. And I'll say the thing that is the most important to know you, if you feel that you can't help yourself and you can't get out of it by yourself, you absolutely need professional help. And I know that sometimes. We are afraid to acknowledge that, or uh, and go f- and look for it, because it seems like it seals the fate. But like they say, you know, if you break your leg, you don't hope that it heals; you put a cast on it. So the same yes. with our psychological health. It's not like you know your depression is in your head. No, it's not. It's a diagnosis. And as a as I said, as a responsible adult and a person who has been in personal growth for twenty years, please, please go to a doctor if you need to it's there's nothing wrong about that. It's not because you're broken or something is wrong with you. It's just some things we need help. Yeah. You know, I I catch uh, I've caught cold in my life. I've had accidents, you know, sprained my ankles and whatnot. It's normal. Life happens to us. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with going to a professional and asking for help. And that's, I guess, is the most important thing. If you feel that you can't deal with that, go and ask for help. It's very seldom that a person can pull themselves out of anxiety, out of depression, out of PTSD. It's really very rare. And you really would have to uh, drop everything else in your life and start studying. And self-diagnosis is never a good thing. I think only people who are stranded in Antarctica do their own surgeries to (laughs) remove their appendix. Really, we live in a civilized world. It's, it's really, you don't need to suffer. And that's the most important thing. Now, if you've been to the doctors and you are in that process and you're not really giving a diagnosis to yourself, and maybe it's more of a casual anxiety. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah, not, generalized not one... anxiety. Sure. Yeah. In that case, uh, the thing that helped me in the good old days was just the idea that it is one breath at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time. Really, mm. just take it one step at a time yeah these two things help me from from the darkest moment being easy on myself and not beating myself up for being miserable just allowing myself the misery okay I'm miserable fine what do I do next yeah. and next I just take one step at a time and here I'd like to refer you uh, guys to to the lyrics of one song because it's brilliant it's really brilliant I, it's a longer, longer poem, so I won't recite it, but it's from Frozen 2, you know, this uh, animated movie about uh, two sisters. So in Frozen 2, Anna sings a song, um, a song about, you know, how she's in the darkest hour and just about taking one step. It's brilliant, this uh,
0: lyrics. Just listen to it. It helps. Hmm, I think it's called The Next Best Thing. Okay. I'll make sure that I have... uh... (laughs) A link to that. I appreciate that very much. Before we head out today, uh, Christina, I would love for you to just share a little bit about your upcoming book that will be birthed to the world soon called The Art of Being Flossom. Thank you. I'll I'll take the chance and share. You
1: know, I I actually started writing this book uh, during pandemic, so I call it a pandemic child. And it's been birthed. It hasn't been out of hospital yet (laughs) because we are in the process of publishing it. But the book is there and it is literally a book about finding your path back to you. Uh, I believe it is incredibly practical, but I also think that in that book, while I'm the writer and uh, I like to call myself a philosopher of everyday life, I actually don't assume the position of a teacher, more a position of a companion. Because I believe that transformation happens through curiosity, through asking questions, yes. through, through through looking for something, and um, I came to that after 20 years of being in the industry, after learning from so many teachers. But really, the life itself is the teacher, and literally every single person can become your teacher. You yourself can become the teacher, and. Similarly, you can be surrounded by the most amazing teachers, people who wish you well, who want to help you so much and still not live the transformation. And the difference is because transformation happens when the person is ready. That's why I don't believe in forcing people through transformation. And you really do it to yourself. You can have all the knowledge out in the world, but the knowledge doesn't help until it becomes an experience and it helps you see the world in a different view, different light. And that's what my book is about. It's a companion. I ask, I I help people who go through this book, ask the questions, you know, find the courage to be honest, uh, find the kindness to accept themselves uh, despite whatever they discover about themselves. So it is really a companion and and just a guideline to self-discovery. But I think the journey of people who are going to read this book is going to be their own unique journeys. I know it's probably a very mystical, cryptic way of explaining what the book is about. But in in more simple terms, it's about self-love and self-acceptance.
0: Yes, yes. And more of that, please. I I look forward to, to reading your book. And to all of our listeners, if you're interested in learning more about Christina and you want to get on the wait list for her new book, you can do that. It's not available for sale yet, but you can get on the wait list at christinamand.com/book. and I'll make sure that I have that information for you in the show notes as well. Yes, thank you so much for, for allowing me to promote my book. Oh my gosh, of course. I, of course, with everything that you've brought forward, all you all you've shared, your, your talks, your, your own vulnerability, just the way that you show up in the world, it's been an honor to share time with you. And this book is going to help so many. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for giving me the chance to share my message
1: with the world. It has been a pleasure.
0: Oh, the pleasure has been all of ours. That's for sure. Thank you so much, Christina. And again, if you want to get on Christina's wait list for The Art of Being Flossom, you can do so at christinaman.com book.